today on CityCast Denver. Denver is yet again on the forefront of legal weed. Starting within weeks, new businesses will be opening up that allow on-site marijuana consumption. Legally, smoking weed right out in public. But what if one of those places opens on your block? Just make sure there's Cheetos at the door and they'll probably be fine. <laughs> what happens if you've got every good reason in the world to say no? A neighbor up there got their window blown out with a gunshot. But the stoners have to go somewhere, don't they? I mean, you would think that there would be more places like that in Denver. It's kind of weird that it's so normal to go to a bar and have a drink, but then there's nowhere to like go smoke weed. Producer Paul Caroli has been digging into a neighborhood drama that's going to put this new public pot thing to the test. And it all revolves around a single address smack in the middle of the infamous Green Mile. Today is Friday, April 8th. I'm Xandra McMahon, and this is 1800 South Broadway, Part 1. Welcome back to CityCast Denver. Uh, we've got something special today. We're not going to do our traditional Friday chat because producer Paul Caroli, who's here with me, has uh, been working on something special. Hey. And uh, host Brie Davies is also here. Hi, hi, Brie. Hi. I think before we get into your special project, Paul, um, I'm going to like keep making this sound as mysterious as possible. <laughs> no, I love it. Before we get in... Um, Bree, do you do you have any inkling about what this is about? I'm just curious. Like, what do you do? You even know what Paul's been looking into these last couple weeks? Uh, kinda. I know it's related to an address. That an this address. This project keeps being referred to as. What I don't know if I should give it away. Re- reveal it. Eighteen hundred Broadway. Eighteen hundred South Broadway. I was just gonna say South. It has to be South Broadway. Mm-hmm. Eighteen hundred South Broadway. Do you know the neighborhood at all? It's. Is I think the backside of. Platt Park or? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally do. And it's like bars on Broadway and then like just a block off. It's a residential neighborhood. And that's the same strip of South Broadway that was once known as the Green Mile for the proliferation of marijuana businesses. Uh, I'll tell you, the antiquers that were there before the Green Mile did not like that they tried to co-opt that area and call it the Green Mile because it was also Antique Row prior to. So hmm. shout out to all those the antiquers still out there, turn of the century antiques. They're a great spot. I love that. It Blinkies uh, used to be over oh, there, the antiques, yeah. which is now I think Fashionation actually I think is Blinkies. Anyway, that's hmm. the area we're talking about. Either maybe you know it as the Green Mile or maybe you're a little older and you know it as the Antique Row. Okay. Well, I think the best way to uh, maybe go through this arc, Paul, mm-hmm. is to start with you mm-hmm. and explain why you wanted to start looking into this. Like, what what was what was the tip? What was the impetus? <sighs> okay, okay. This was um, it was a few weeks ago. It started when um, somebody that I know posted a picture of a flyer that they had received on their door. I'll just quote from it a little bit here. It says, Dear neighbor, we're organizing Platt Park and other nearby residents to try to oppose, all caps oppose, the Cloud Nine Weed Lounge, which is planning to open at 1800 South Broadway. And it goes on to talk about this 
tension and some problems that were happening in the community around a hookah lounge that used to be there. And so I thought this was incredibly intriguing because I knew this area is the Green Mile and I thought, okay, yeah, a weed lounge. That makes sense for the Green Mile. The city of Denver is starting this new program that's going to be allowing uh, public consumption of weed in public businesses. Like people are going to be able to smoke weed. Can we talk about how wild it is that we're just starting this and we've had legal weed for (laughs) almost a decade? I know. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, that's true. I I mean, also, I just want to say... Anytime you get a note on your door that says, dear neighbor, it usually means something not fun or cool. (laughs) It's not a Mr. Rogers type. Or like come to a party. It's like, we're trying to stop something. It's like, oh, that's just like the tenor of every dear neighbor (laughs) note. Mm -hmm. So this dear neighbor note, that that was the tenor. And they were trying to build support to stop this thing from happening. And there was a phone number on there. And so I was so intrigued by this. I thought... Heck yeah, I want to figure out what the deal is here. I texted the number. I identified myself as a journalist. I said, hey, I'd love to talk about this sometime. Like, this is the next thing in legal weed. This is how weed's going to be changing the city next. I want to know how it's playing out here. Um, I got a text back in like 10 minutes that said, no, I'm not talking to you. Like, go away, please. And then I thought that was that. I uh, signed off of work. I thought that was the end of the story. I was like a little bit curious still. Um, I don't know. The next part's a little bit delicate. I don't I don't know. Is this the part where you were in the bath? I know. Are <laughs> <laughs> talking about how Paul was in the bathtub? Yes. I like to think about this as my Hunter S. Thompson moment, but I can see how other people might. I'm thinking like, Ernie from Sesame Street moment. Let's do, let's say that. Well, here I am in my tubby again, and my tubby's all filled with water and nice fluffy suds. But I think the, the important thing is you were clocked off, you were trying to relax, mm-hmm. you were sinking into your evening, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then... And then I get a call Yeah. from the guy who I had texted. Uh, I'm going to call him Dave. And uh, Dave was coming in hot. He was really worried about being contacted by a journalist. Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. But he called you. He called me. Because people me. always say they don't want to talk to journalists, but they really do. Well, that, I, I, I didn't know what to do with that, actually, because like he kept saying, we uh, there's a core group of us who are organizing against this weed lounge, and we've made a decision not to go to the media with this. And I just kept saying, like, you called me, dude. And he kept telling me, we're not, we don't want a story. And it's like, oh, well, here we are. Okay. So I asked him some questions about the situation and uh, honestly just got more intrigued by what was happening because he described neighbors having guns shot in their yards, gunshots in windows, late night violence in this neighborhood, all revolving around this hookah bar that used to be at 1800 South Broadway. Which is the proposed site for the weed lounge now, right? Exactly. So what happened to the hookah bar? Well, there's not really that much information out there about this situation. So I needed to figure out really what was happening. Because if this was about hookah, that's one thing, but if it's about this location, that's another. And if it's about weed, that's a whole nother thing entirely. So I made my first call. Hello. Hi, how are you? I, I'm good. How are you today, Councilman? Uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. This is Councilman Jolin Clark. He represents the area. So, Councilman Clark, 
Can you tell me when you first started hearing about the issues revolving around the hookah lounges on South Broadway? Uh, well, I wouldn't say hookah lounges on South Broadway. I would say hookah lounge, but it was, oh, without going back and being able to pull the exact date, but it was a good probably year and a half to two years um, where I was getting emails and phone calls about the problems at um, this specific hookah lounge. We're talking about Habibi Hookah Cafe at 1800 South Broadway, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. So what, like, what was the situation as far as you could tell? Uh, we had a, you know, just a really bad operator who was letting things get completely out of hand combined with a license type that uh, had never really had any kind of conversation about the types of regulations that we have around um, you know, alcohol and marijuana in terms of what time is an appropriate time to close. And so really things would peak as an out crowd issue. People would have to leave the bars because they do have to close at a certain time or because on that part of Broadway, they tend to even close earlier because there's not enough traffic to keep up until 2 a.m. And people who really should have gone home and called it a night were continuing wanting to continue um, their evening festivities and they would show up uh, to this lounge and and just wreak havoc. I, I don't know exactly how this all you know happens or or how they end up at at this lounge, but it was a problem at multiple hookah lounges not in my district prior to this becoming the hot spot. So there there is a um, you know, a, a group of people who, who were maybe causing problems at multiple ones. And as one would get in trouble and shut down, then they would move to another one. And, and it, and it, it happened to all come together at this lounge on top of that, you know, they, they were cited multiple times, uh, for selling tobacco to minors, um, and then for operating without a license, uh, uh at near the end. So they were just, you know, a, a bad operator who was not, you know, running their business in, in a way that was conducive to creating a safe environment. And so what Councilman Clark did is he worked with the city to basically get that hookah place shut down. It's it's an empty building now. Hmm. And, and then pretty much immediately within a week, uh, very similar problems um, uh, at the Insomnia Lounge that was um, down the street. And that's kind of what led to the proposal that came through uh, when we were discussing flavored tobacco um, and hookah because the original proposal for flavored tobacco would have made all hookah lounges go out of business overnight. Um, and so I worked with the National Hookah Association and the responsible uh, small business owners who run hookah lounges in Denver who aren't, you know, uh, letting that things get so out of control that it's, it's just, you know, not a safe situation. Worked with them to craft um, some hours of operation restrictions for uh, hookah lounges to operate in the city um, that that then uh, led to enough people feeling comfortable exempting hookah from the um, flavor ban, which ultimately was vetoed and so is not on the books, but the, but the hours of operation bill uh, is. Councilman Clark's bill limits hookah lounges from closing after midnight. So they have, they have to close at midnight now. And, and, they're thinking that will help curb the the violence that they're seeing after I'm guessing, yeah, the bars let out and then people are just like, where do I go? That's that's his logic here. I, I thought that was fascinating. I mm -hmm. mean, 
remember all the news coverage last year about the the flavored tobacco ban mm-hmm. and all yeah. of the hysteria around that and like i don't know about you all but i recognize that islamophobia is a problem in this country oh yeah and i think that maybe that might have been a factor in that some of this situation was exacerbated by tension either felt or tension perceived by people on different sides of that debate. Yeah, maybe like cultural misunderstandings around the purpose and use of hookah as a social uh, gathering kind of thing, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, Councilman Clark was obviously hoping that that would be the end of all the issues at 1800 South Broadway. But what he didn't know was that the owner of the building not the tenant. The tenant was, you know, they were kicked out. They were evicted. The owner of the building uh, had other plans. Uh, this was all going down at the same time that the city of Denver was opening, or I should say reopening applications for marijuana hospitality businesses. Uh, they tried this a few years ago with a different regulatory framework, but it was so restrictive that only one business was ever able to open. Now they're doing it a little bit differently mostly because of this social equity component, which says that for like six years after these this application period opens, only people that meet certain social equity criteria are able to apply for these businesses. It's an effort to redress the impact of the war on drugs. And that's what happened at 1800 South Broadway. The owner of the building applied. It was within weeks of the shooting and the shutdown. Okay, so so th- like you said, these have been a long time coming. These these public consumption licenses for weed, mm-hmm. and I am curious though, like what what does it take to to get that kind of license at this point? Yeah, I mean it's a great question because the neighborhood is obviously really hurt by what was happening at the Hook Cafe, and the same person that owns the building that owned the building is now applying for this new thing. So there's not a lot of trust there. And that's actually really important for this process. Because it's like, oh, same guy, new business. Exactly. So I checked in with the Department of Excise and License, and they told me that, I'm quoting from an email here uh, from a spokesperson, the public has a right to voice their opinion for or against all of our hospitality establishment applications. And public opposition or support is a consideration for all licensing decisions. I wonder, I always wonder like what that actually means. Like how much does the public or community input on a license dictate if it gets approved or not? Because like in my neighborhood, this recently just happened too in terms of like someone was get, trying to get a liquor license for mm. a venue and the neighborhood organized against it. And I don't know the outcome, but I always wonder, did it matter? Hmm. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I don't know. That's part of this story too. This is a perfect test case for that and this new program. Does the public input actually matter? Because in this case, the public has a lot to say about this. Yeah, and I'm sure they're going to show up and make their voices heard at this hearing. Mm -hmm. And I was down there last week, actually. I checked in. I was just knocking on doors and talking to people on the street, lots of dog walkers. Um, It was a really nice day. And uh, I've got got a few clips here to share. Boy, where do I even start? This is such a long story. What, uh, how do you feel about the... 1800 South Broadway, that address. Because of the, the trouble we had at the hookah place, well, it got out of control. There was shots and stuff. And I could tell you, I don't want to sit here and tell you all the stories I saw, but I saw stuff at like four in the morning where there was like 100 people on the street right down here. 
Wow. Yeah, like New York City or something. The hookah place would fill up fast, mm -hmm. and then the people would just come out and they would park their cars out here, open their doors, and party. Um, I haven't seen anything personally, but I, I heard about um, just like kind of late night parties. For a long time, it, was, it wasn't too bad, but you know, but last March, we started getting like crazy traffic and um, a neighbor up there got their window blown out with a gunshot. Um, and then the police said that it was gang activity. The neighbor has a, a video of um, three people in a gunfight, you know, out here. Um, I had my four-year-old grandson over that night. All I know about it is that um, the location that was there prior, there was like a lot of like incidences where the cops are coming and people were, you know, staying up late. There was a shooting. And so I think for us and our family, we just want to make sure that our neighborhood continues to be safe. You know, that's what that's why all these people set up a little thing to get rid of the hookah place. And so they're trying to do the same thing with the marijuana place now. I say my, my partner talks to them a lot, but like I don't yeah. Some of the, I think the the current owner of the building came by and asked her to sign a petition and then like five minutes later somebody from the uh, the neighborhood was like, Hey, will you sign our counter petition? And she was like, Okay, if you'll just like leave i actually didn't know about it and then when the owner came to my door a couple weeks ago um i looked it up and yeah i do have an issue with it i just didn't know about it <laughs> the owner of the building that like the owner's son i think came by talking about his business plan and you know he could have said anything he seemed like a nice guy yeah. seemed like he wanted a do-over i don't know <laughs> Have you heard about the uh, the building owner's application to open a weed lounge? I have, you know, and we're not happy about it. And um, the neighbors have been gathering signatures, you know, to, and we all plan on attending the hearing. Do you have a sense of how much of the neighborhood is opposed? Yeah, well, everyone I've talked to, but then, you know, um, it seems like they've got several hundred signatures right now. So you signed the petition? Yeah. To to, to oppose opening the weed lounge? Yes. Mm -hmm. Why? Just based on the prior situation mm -hmm. and the like limited knowledge I had about it, that it was just wasn't like a good environment. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know much about it, to be honest, but. Uh, well, I know it was like really busy and there was lots of people out there, but I mean, I think it would be cool if they turned it into a spot that you could smoke weed. Yeah. You're the first person I've talked to who said that. <laughs> I mean, you would think that there would be more places like that in Denver or in Colorado in general since it's legalized here. It's kind of weird that it's so normal to go to a bar and have a drink, but then there's nowhere to, like, go smoke weed. You know, I have no problem with people going to smoke marijuana in a place. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. I just don't know if this is the right place for it. As long as there's no violence in the neighborhood, just make sure there's Cheetos at the door and they'll probably be fine. <laughs> You know, we just don't want the same thing to happen again. What makes you think that it would, though? It's a different, it would be a different business. Well, um, marijuana seems to be popular. The hookah place was popular. If we're going to have a lot of people here at night, they're going to, it's, we're probably going to have a lot of the same thing. I mean, hookah, marijuana, I mean, I know they're two different things, but um, I don't know. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Um, can I give you what a did you what did you think about that last point Paul of um, like they can't 
the neighbors are worried that this this new I mean he's not new but like this new plan for a different business and a different operator maybe mm-hmm. like can't guarantee that there won't be this same these same problems the same violence same partying atmosphere Alexander I think that is a great question for me to answer after a quick break and a word from our sponsors <laughs> After these messages we'll be right back This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And we're back. So, Paul, before the break, we were talking about um, the neighbors feeling like just because the old tenant of, you know, the owner of Habibi Hookah Lounge is gone doesn't mean that this problem is not going to continue with a new business owner, a new, even a new type of business like this weed lounge idea. So I know, though, that you dug into this a little bit further to see, like, well, is it this one hookah lounge or is it all hookah lounges? Like, what is it about this spot? Yeah, I think that's that's really the question is, is it is it the hookah cafe or is it this location? Because if it's this location, then these problems will, I mean, presumably come back. So I thought the perfect person to answer this was the, the old tenant, the owner of Habibi Hookah Cafe. I could not track this person down, but I got pretty close. Hello? Yes. Hi, um, is, this, is this a George Mansour? Yes. Hi, George. Um, my name's Paul. I'm a journalist based in Denver, and I'm working on a story about uh, 1800 South Broadway. Um, and I'm looking for an owner of a business that used to operate there. I was the owner of the business, but, uh, I sold it long time ago. Oh, okay. So you were the owner of Habibi Hookah Cafe? Was. I was. So George is not, not the exact person I was looking for. Uh, but because he used to run a hookah cafe out of this same location, I figured, you know, why not talk to him about it? Had he heard about the violence? Was that something he had to deal with when he owned the business? Was it always part of this neighborhood or was this something new? And I know it happened a lot of drama after I left with uh, new people by the hookah bar. And they didn't know how to run the business and make a lot of trouble with everybody. But, yeah, I know the neighborhood area is very well. George told me that there used to be a coffee shop at 1800 South Broadway until around 2004. Then someone new bought the building and he leased part of it to open his hookah cafe, which he ran until 2013, 2015-ish, when someone else took over. And then George says that person passed it on to the person who was evicted late last year. Okay, so George is uh, two, two people removed from this situation. Exactly. So there were no, there was no violence or anything when you were running your business out of that 
address? Nothing. 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 You know, for eight years, one time, there's only one time we call the cops. Hmm. That's all. Hmm. Most of the hookah bar here in Denver, all what they think about, bring more people, and they don't care about what's happening outside the hookah bar. When I run the business, because it was the first hookah bar open in Denver, I care about everybody coming to my hookah bar. I don't care about who are you. If you are respecting me, I respect my place, respect my, my employees, respect my customer, you're welcome. If not, they can get kicked out or, you know, we do anything to protect my place. And most of the hookah bar here in they don't care about this one. Just to open and to try to try make money. Yeah, you want to make money, make money right way, not hmm. not this way. So, do you think that the 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 violence and like the trash problems that the neighbors were reporting? Do you think that that's the hookah bar owner or the hookah bar operator's responsibility, yes. or do you think that that was something yes. else? This happening? is the, the owner because he let the trash go inside. If you let the trash go inside your building, what has it look like after this? Gonna be a trash. So George George makes the argument that it's not about the location. It's just more about like, well, what kind of business owner are you, and what are kind you? of business are yeah, you running? Yeah, and, and so I think that that is a vote of confidence, maybe for the Weed Lounge, depending on you know what this new owner is is planning on doing, and like the precautions that they're taking, and the goodwill that they're creating with the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. That was my impression as well. It's it's this, it's this uncertainty that's a part of any new business venture, any new regulation that our local government might put in place. Like that, that's what's that's really what's at issue here. Is like you can't know what's going to happen, and for me, that's that's another reason why I wanted to talk to Councilman Clark is because I feel like in these situations when there's so much uncertainty, it's it's a a person in his position, it's his responsibility to offer leadership here. Well, he's balancing the concerns of his community, of his constituency, but he's also, I think, trying to probably be friendly to the business interests in his neighborhood, too. I mean, that's the I think that's one of the finer points of being a council person is your constituency includes residents and business owners, two very different components of a neighborhood. Business owners have a vested interest in a neighborhood in a different way than a neighbor does. And they might not live in the, like the business owner might not live in the neighborhood. And so, I mean, I've just seen this play out in my own neighborhood and I've watched my council person have to negotiate this. And it's tough because she wants, you know, I'm sure Jolan Clark wants new businesses in the neighborhood. They want the economy to be thriving in their particular part of the city. But they also have to say, well, maybe my community has some concerns about what those businesses are. Yeah. And because of that balance that Councilman Clark is trying to trying to keep, I'm sure that he didn't tell you what, how he feels about the weed lounge one way or the other. Well, let me play you some tape. Let's, uh, let's talk about this new proposal for that the the building owner has to open a new business at that same site what what can you tell me about your perspective on that because it seems to me that the hours that they're proposing are not you know they're not unlimited like the hookah cafe could have but he's saying he wants to be open till 2 a.m on weekends yeah i mean i think that there there's a there are a lot of issues at play with that particular thing uh, you know 
first of all, there's a, a, a huge saturation of marijuana businesses in that area. Um, second of all, this property and not the, own, the, the business owner was told you have to close and leave. The property owner was told because uh, this property was a nuisance to the city and the community, you're under a nuisance abatement plan for the next three years. And so that does restrict saying, hey, you know, this isn't just, uh, you know, somebody owning a property who wants to do something with it. You're under a, a bigger microscope to prove that you can successfully do something at your property that does not drain all kinds of police resources, cost the city all kinds of money and leave bullet holes in people's homes, right? Uh, you know, there are a lot of other uses on Broadway and a lot of other businesses on Broadway, a lot of other ways to make money on that commercial corridor uh, up and down there that are do not involve, um, uh, you know, the kinds of um, socialization and crowds that could lead to continued nuisance to the neighborhood. And when you've lost the trust of the neighborhood and quite frankly the city having to take legal action on the nuisance to show that that you can do that i think you've gotta um you gotta earn that back in some way hmm. so you so you do have a position on it you you think there shouldn't be a, a public consumption lounge i think he's calling it a lounge at that location yes i am opposed to that license at that, at that location hmm. have you talked to the the property owner Property owner still has never reached out to me. Yeah, one thing that stuck out to me was Councilman Clark talking about, well, this new business owner, like they need to rebuild that trust with the neighborhood. And like, you know, it, it, maybe that hasn't happened yet. And that's why he doesn't feel good about this business going into place. Is that kind of what Councilman Clark's like argument is? Like he would like to see, like what needs to happen for him to feel good about this weed lounge going in at 1800 South Broadway? Well, I know what I think needs to happen. Yeah. I think all of these people that we've heard from today, every single one of them needs to listen to the other side of the story. And that's including us. Because I had all of these biases that I'm sure people listening are thinking about. I had all of the same worries. I can empathize with the neighbors for the issues. But when you hear the other side of the story, when you hear the owner talk about why he wants to open this business and what his plan is, I think you might think differently. I also think it just calls into question what is a neighborhood and who is a neighbor? Because when we're pitting people against each other, it's kind of like saying somebody is outside of this sphere. Exactly. And there's a hearing coming up, the excise and license hearing, where all these neighbors have said they're going to show up. And essentially what's going to be happening at that hearing is that we're going to be deciding as a city if they're neighbors with this business owner. Is this person allowed to be their neighbor or not? Next time on part two of our look at 1800 South Broadway and the dawn of a new age of public weed consumption in Denver. I called, I emailed, I negotiated off the record with the building owner and his lawyer for over an hour, but I finally got the interview. And I guarantee it's not what you're expecting. All right, we're rolling. So Josh Horwitz, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you, thanks for having me. But in the meantime, we wanna hear from you. Would you want a weed lounge opening up down the street from your house or apartment? 
And what do you think about the proposal to open one at 1800 South Broadway, where all of this violence destroyed the trust in the neighborhood? Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood at 720-500-5418, and we might play it on the show next week. And that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Alexandra McMahon, Paul Caroli, and Carly Jones. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is, of course, our regular host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe and rate five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver, and tell a friend about us the next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Have a great weekend, everybody. Well, I haven't done credits in so long.